Good afternoon and welcome everybody. Thank you for coming um, for this last meeting of uh, Hillary term. Um, I'm honored and delighted to present today, to introduce today my friend and colleague, Dr. Yuval Avery, who's coming to us today from uh, SOAS. Uh, Dr. Avery, Avery, Avery is a sociologist and a cultural researcher who focuses on the political, intellectual history of uh, the land of Israel, Palestine, at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, Dr. Avery's research has deepened and enlightened our understanding of the past and present of the Middle East at large, and he offers viable paths in which we may progress in the future, I would say, if we wish to overcome some of the misfortunate predicaments and grave injustices of the current situation in the region. Uh, the title of this talk today is Andalusian Legacies, the Role of Al-Andalus, Sepharad, in the Political and Cultural History of Israel-Palestine. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you very much, Jacob, for the introduction and for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I wanted to say something maybe about the, my surname, about Ivri. In Iraq, it used to be Arab. Uh, and my family changed it when they, they immigrated to Israel. And I, I thought that it's a, it's a legend, but when I moved to London, I, I realized that there's some a Jewish name, surname, Arab. There's Naji Arab, I don't know if you know, uh, yeah. but there, there, there is few uh, Jewish Iraqi, the, the, the surname is Arab. So my, my, my name originally is Arab, now I'm called Ivri. Ivri is very, I don't know, Hebrew-sized name, and very Israeli. Uh, new Jew name in many in many ways. Yeah, maybe I need to return to the to the old surname. And, and I think in many ways it's connected to things that I'm I'm dealing with in the last ten years in my research. The connection between Hebrew and Arabic. Um, and what I'm going to do today it's a mixture of few things that interested uh, uh, me in the last ten years. Uh, one of them is the, the Arab Jewish intellectual thought in the turn of the 20th century. The second is the the um, the prominent role of Al-Andalus, Sepharad, Sepharad, um, as a, of course, as a, as a legacy, as a symbol, as a research object, uh, as a poetic symbol or poetic uh, genre, uh, in, the, in the turn of the 20th century to, the, to Palestine in general and to the connection between Jews and Muslims. In that time. So what I'm going to talk today, it's it's a combination of few few things that I'm interested in. Um, so let's start. How can we write the Arab Jewish intellectual history in the post-partitioned era? How can we uh, reimagine its historical and geographical full, full scope after more than a century of physical, social, and cultural uh, and political displacement, uh, marginalization, and negation? Post-partition in this context applies not only to the partition of Palestine, but also to the separation of disciplines, traditions, histories, and languages between Hebrew and Arabic, between, uh, um, uh, between Hebrew uh, literature and Arabic literature, between Judaism and Islam, Zionism and Arab nationalism, Jewish and Arabness, and between Sephardi and Al-Andalus. In this post-partitioned environment, it is not surprising that the boundary becomes so crucial in the research of Arab-Jewish Sephardi literature. What are the field's boundary lines in terms of language, temporality, and space place? For instance, what is the linguistic scope? Arabic, Hebrew, Judeo-Arabic, Ladino, French, or English? Um, 
Is it a division of larger Jewish literary field? Should it be considered as part of Hebrew, Arabic, Judeo-Muslim, Spanish, or post-colonial literary framework? What should be the field's point of departure? Medieval Al-Andalus or modern time? Prayer or post-1948? 1492 or 1882? Nahda or Hebrew Askala? What should be the framework of the imagined geography? Middle East or Ottoman Empire? Muslim world or Jewish world? Israel-Palestine or Arab countries? Diaspora or homeland? Al-Andalus or Sepharad? Most of the scholarly work in this field today are already navigating in a narrow and limited scope, adapting into the post-partitioned, fragmented academic landscape and reality. Can we explore and understand the Arab-Jewish intellectual world in its fullness and complexity through the existing partitioned academic fields and terminology? Can we transcend the geographical, historical, and disciplinary boundaries and reintegrate the fragmented pieces into one field and one history? In my short talk today, I won't be able to address all these important questions that were investigated in several important scholarly work in the past decades. Ella Shochad's uh, groundbreaking works on the Arab-Jewish cultural history through the lens of the partitioned past and present, including her more recent work on the invention of the Judeo-Arabic, are without doubt the most important and influential ones, and were followed by others' important works by Miel El-Kalai, Gil Ochberg, and Gil Anijar. I want to suggest a different entrance to these questions through the representation and visions of Al-Andalus Sepharad in the turn of the 20th century, exploring its crucial role in the creation of modern Jewish studies and in the separation of Arabic and Hebrew, Muslims and Jewish intellectual traditions and histories. Shifting the focus to the pre-partitioned era, or more precisely to the early stages of the partitioning process, enable us not only to trace back the cultural and political options that were materialized, but also reveal options that emerged at the time but were negated, marginalized, and forgotten. My research in the last uh, decade focused on Arab-Jewish Sephardi intellectual network during, the formative, in the, during this formative period, the turn of the 20th century. By exploring the cultural visions and activities of uh, this uh, network, I seek not only to reveal marginalized voices, but also to expose, expose unexplored political options that aim to transform and reshape social and cultural realities at a formative moment in the history of Israeli-Palestinian uh, Israeli conflict. This is also an opportunity to challenge the institutionalized national historiographies, as well as the disciplinary and political divisions that dominate our reading of the past and present. From early stages of my work, I have identified the importance of Al-Andalus Sepharad in their intellectual work, as well as their political and cultural vision. It echoes implicitly and explicitly to their, throughout their writings uh, and activities in different ways and forms. It is important to clarify uh, here that I investigate Al-Andalus Sepharad not simply as a medieval object or phenomena, but rather as an active and powerful modern representation. Instead of imagining the explore and exploring the Andalusian past and heritage as being entirely fixed in one history or experience, I am looking at the different and often contested visions of Al-Andalus Sepharad in the modern Jewish discourse in general, and in the Arab-Jewish discourse in particular. Therefore, I'm investigating Al-Andalus as a traveling concept, focusing on 
its transformation and translations through movement of languages, texts, poetic models, and philosoph philosophical ideas between time and space. Okay, now I would like to introduce the network in more details and situate them in a wider social and cultural context. The member of this Sephardi network includes Yosef Meyuchas, Shaul Abdallah Yosef, Avram Shalom Yehuda, David Yelin, Ariel Ben-Zion, Shimon Moyal, Nisim Alul, Esther Azari Moyal, and Avram El-Maliach, to name only few. Most of them were born in Palestine in the second turn of the 19th century in the local Sephardi community. The dramatic transformation that occurred in the second half of the, 20, of the 19th century in the Ottoman Empire and Palestine in particular had a formative role in their uh, intellectual development. They were part of a growing circles of local scholars who were engaged in a variety of intellectual activities, ethnographic research, translation, literary interpretation, journalism, philology, and education. In, the, in these uh, scholarly circles, were active Muslim and Christians uh, from the local Arab-Palestinian community, figures like Dr. Tawfiqa Naan, Stefan Khanna Stefan, and Khalil Totah. This emerging local Palestinian scholarly com community was shaped in the mixture of imperial, religious, and national discourses that operated together in the public spheres. This notion of fluidity and mobility between different national collective, collective affiliations shaped and influenced the political and cultural visions of these intellectuals. During this period, towards the end of the Ottoman era, some of the uh, Sephardic intellectuals were members of both Hebrew Renaissance uh, movement, the Ascala, and the Nahda, the Arab uh, Renaissance uh, movement, at the time when the two were not yet seen to be contradictory. The involvement of these intellectuals in both Hebrew and Arabic revival movement helped them to articulate a different approach towards revival of Hebrew language and culture from that of the mainstream Ashkenazi Maskilim in Palestine. In this context, they viewed their period as Andalusian moment, a moment of reunion of Jews and Muslims, Arabs and Hebrews, in a shared homeland, Palestine, like it was in Al-Andalus before the expulsion of Jews and Muslims from the land. Like in Sepharad, this moment offered opportunity for establishing a joint Hebrew and Arabic culture moment of uh, new encounters and promises of shared future based of revival of the great Judeo-Arabic Andalusian heritage. Op operating in this notion of Andalusian moment, we can identify two main strands in their intellectual activities. The first trend focused mainly on the representation and interpretation of uh, the Andalusian heritage in the modern Jewish discourse, vis-a-vis -vis Hebrew and Jewish moderni modernization and the creation of Jewish national community in Palestine. I, don't, I won't have uh, enough time to get into it, but Sepharad was really important symbol since I think the early Enlightenment circles, Jewish from Mendelssohn on, onward, and through, of course, the Zionist Ascala movement, uh, Bialik and others that going, went back to Shirat Sepharad, to the poetry of Spain, as a, as a national uh, Western image. And, 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 and through that, you, I will talk a little bit about this uh, dispute with them, but this is more focused in my PhD. The second trend focused on the recreation, uh, recreating of a new Hebrew-Arabic literature, literary tradition through translations, literature, and literary research based on Judeo-Arabic poetic models and traditions. 
The question of the representation of Sephard al-Andalus was in the center of their dialogue with European Jewish scholars and political activists of their time. Some of them were also engaged in fierce uh, disputes with leading European Jewish scholars and Zionist leaders over the modernization process of Hebrew and, Arabic, uh, of Hebrew and Jewish culture and its effect uh, on the Jewish political and social life in Palestine. Critical of the tendency of the Jewish scholars in Europe and later also in Palestine to define the Jewish and Hebrew modernization as a process of westernization or end, Europeization, they emphasized the importance of returning to the Andalusian Judeo-Muslim tradition and to the Judeo-Arabic culture that had developed over their centuries. Uh, in that sense, they were also influenced by the return to Andalusia in the Arabic Nahada movement as a model of glorious Arab past to be revived. In the heart of these disputes, we can identify one common issue, which they share cl uh, a clear and consistent view about, the separation between Hebrew and Arabic, languages and literary traditions. They have all identified quite early the process of isolating the research of, on Andalusian Jewish and Hebrew literature from its Arabic context. This trend was manifested both explicitly and implicitly in some of the research work of uh, the Wissenschaft des Judentum, the science of Judaism circles. Leading Jewish scholars in those uh, circles emphasize the Western character of Judaism while ignoring or playing down its Eastern characteristics, including the prominent role of Arabic language and culture in the Jewish Andalusian uh, heritage. Critical of this tendency, Shaul Abdallah Yosef, David Yelin, Avram Shalom Yehuda emphasize the importance of the knowledge of Arabic language and the poetic style in the development of their research of Shirat Sefarad, the poetry of Spain, the Hebrew poetry of Spain. They also pointed out the importance of the comparative approach that binds together the research of Arabic and Hebrew poetry of Al-Andalus. In these disputes, Avram Shalom Yehuda had a leading well, mainly due to his uh, unique intellectual biography and prominent position vis-a-vis -vis the European Jewish scholars. Yehuda was a prolific researcher, translator, and manuscript collector whose intellectual activity spread over many geographical areas, including Jerusalem, Frankfurt, Heidelberg, Berlin, London, New York, and Madrid. In intellectual disciplines, philology, Jewish history, Oriental studies, biblical criticism, and Islamic studies. His work was influenced by the main modern Jewish intellectual trends, the Askala, the Wissenschaft der Judentum circles, and Hebrew revivalism. Yet, at the same time, he was not less inspired by the Arab El Nahda movement, the Ottoman political and cultural reformation, the Tanzimat, and the Sephardic intellectual circles of his time. As a researcher, he was trained uh, in the German Orientalist system. His research, his research focused on the intertwined Judeo-Muslim world and on the Hebrew-Arabic linguistic and cultural connections. Yehuda was a unique figure in the German Orientalist circles of his time, a Palestinian native with a Baghdadi background and with a strong Jerusalemite and Sephardic affiliation. Yehuda was critical of the European Jewish Orientalist approach towards Jewish cultural and in general, and towards the Andalusian culture in particular. His main criticism was pointed towards the Jewish scholars who were engaged in republishing scholarly editions of Hebrew Andalusian poets, as well as encouraging research and study uh, of the field. 
Yehuda criticized the lack of uh, relation and affiliation to Arabic language and culture in their research, which was for him not just a subject for historical study, but also integral part of contemporary Jewish existence and of the future of the Jewish people in Palestine. For him, the, 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 the dispute on, on Al-Andalus, how you need to uh, re, uh, return to the Andalusian heritage, the Jewish is connected to the Arab question in Palestine very uh, closely. I won't get into it here, but I, I, I wrote about it in different places. Um, in one of his crucial articles, Yehuda point, points out the lack of knowledge in, of Arabic within the Jewish researchers. And I quote, our authors, here he means the European Jewish scholars, are biased against our Arabic liter literary heritage from the Middle Ages. No one will dare to write about Philo without knowing Greek, or about Spinoza without Latin, or about Mendelssohn without, a, uh, without uh, uh, German. But except for select few, nearly all writes about our medieval literature, literature take no interest in studying the language that gave them most of their methods and ideas. Even with regard to their Arabic books, most of them satisfied with understanding them using the Hebrew translations, which in themselves are influenced by the Arabic language and cannot be fully comprehended without the knowledge of Arabic. Contrary to this approach, Yehuda emphasized the deep interconnection between the Jewish and the Arabic traditions. Reconnecting Judaism to the East and to the Judeo-Muslim tradition was for him the crucial step in modernization of Jewish culture. Yehuda began to articulate this political and cultural vision in his earliest days in Europe, as he wrote to his cousin David Yelin in a letter in 1889. Uh, 1899 sorry. But in the land of Israel it is possible. Then they, the European Jews, will return to their Easternism in the East and open their hearts to Eastern and Arabic literatures. And by doing so, they will shed light on the life of our people of the past before they change their nature, nature from the East and becoming too close to foreign people uh, alien, uh, alien to their spirit. But the people of the East left us many books and scriptures that may give us an idea of their way of life, their intellectual properties, and the vast Arabic literature will provide us with sufficient material for our needs. Similar views and criticism we can find in the first disputes that another member of the network, Shaul Abdallah Yosef, a Baghdadi merchant and scholar that raised, uh, resided in uh, Hong Kong, had with the science of Judaism scholars in Europe. Shaul Yosef spent most of his adult life in the Baghdadi diaspora in Southeast Asia. He settled with his family in the British colony of Hong Kong, where he established a brokerage house at the stock ex exchange. Alongside with his, his business training, Yosef was autodidact, autodidact, who studied Hebrew and Arabic literature, in particular, in particular the Jewish works of Al-Andalus. He corresponded with Jewish intellectuals in Europe and in Arab lands. Within the Baghdadi diaspora, Yosef was active in the Arabic newspaper in Hebrew letters uh, Arabic in Hebrew letters, the Judah Arabic, Perach and Magid Misharim, published in Calcutta. Those intellectual circles comprise of Jews from Baghdadi diaspora in Southeast Asia, Baghdad, Aleppo, and Basra, and, 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 and uh, Jerusalem, and other places. Uh, from his Hong Kong location, Yosef was greatly interested in the work of the Ascala circles in Europe. 
and was a member of some of their research association, mainly the Mekitzem Mirdamim. He did, uh, he did not belong to a recognized Jewish center and had no formal higher education or rabbinical training. He also represented different, often contradictory, worlds. He tried to bring the Baghdadi Jewish intellectual circles closer to the world of the Ascala, while simultaneously disputing with the European scholars about the foundation of the Jewish and Sephardi heritage. In one of his letters, David Elin, he criticized the European scholars' approach to the Arab Jewish poetry of Al-Andalus. And I quote, I, I have done all I can to enlighten our colleagues, wise men of Ashkenaz, to the fact that the Arab Jewish poetry is not like European poetry. While Rabbi Avraham Berliner and Rabbi Eliyahu Arkavi have generally considered the points I have written to them, they remain incapable of removing their European spectacles from their eyes. In another occasion, he wrote in different article, by my word, this is an attempt by Westerners to interpre interpret the words of an Eastern poet using the Western aesthetic. And from reading it, it you are given the, the, to understanding that Rabbi Yudah Levi, the Sephardi, actually spoke with Ashkenazi accent and used European images and phrases. Uh, and and Shaul uh, Abdelassef, for me, it was a great discovery. And there's less, there's no a lot of writing about him, but he, he, he was, um, he had long, long disputes with, with and, and, and I think in many ways, he, before we, uh, Edward Said Orientalism, he had a great uh, critique of uh, the Europeanization of Jewish culture and Arab culture. He was often referred as the Chachama Baghdadi, the Baghdadi scholar, despite having left Baghdad at a young age, spending most of his life a trader and a British subject in the British colonies. The intellectual world of Ariel Ben-Zion was also rich and varied. Ben-Zion was born in Jerusalem in 1880 and was involved in the Sephardi Kabbalist uh, circles of, the, of uh, the Bet El Seminary, of which his father was a member. He later uh, traveled to Germany where he studied in four universities. He completed his doctoral thesis in the University of Bern, uh, Switzerland. Ben-Zion was also involved in the Hebrew revival movement in Palestine. His academic activity in Europe and his Zionist activism uh, connected him with the German Orientalists and Zionist leaders. He was also influenced by the Pan-Asian thinkers and was in touch with the Indian poet Tagore. Thus, multiple association and influences in the world of Yehuda, Yosef, and Ben-Zion, as well as their movement between different geographical, disciplinary, and political locations, represent also the complex and dynamic intellectual horizons of other members of the network. Other fears disputing, uh, 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 another, sorry, <clears throat> another first dispute uh, regarding the separation between Hebrew and Arabic developed in Palestine in the early stages of the Zionist settlement in the beginning of the 20th century. Sephardi intellectuals identified the similar approach of negating Arabic language and history in the separ separatist and arrogant attitudes of the European Jewish settlers towards the Palestinian Arabs, which had a crucial effect on the creation of the Arab-Jewish conflict in Palestine. Native Palestinians, uh, Jews like Nesim Malul, Esther Azari Moyal, and Shimon Moyal criticized the refusal of Zionist settlers to learn Arabic and their dismissiveness and racism towards the local Arab population. During these uh, disputes, they emphasized the Andalusian heritage as a political and cultural model that the, Jew the Jewish settlers needs to adopt in the process of integrating with the local Arab society. It seems that their first 
and clear objection to the separation of Arabic and Hebrew represented something bigger than a scientific or political dispute. It affected the essence of their identity and their and social existence, threatening to destroy the bas basis of their historical tradition intellectual world. They identified the danger of the logic of partition from its early stages and tried to prevent it. Now I'm going to the second strand. The second major intellectual project that this um, um, uh, Sephardi uh, network were involved in was manifested in their translation works. During the late Ottoman era, they were active members in both Hebrew and Arabic revival movement, while the increasing hostility between Jews and Arabs opened the linguistic rupture between Hebrew and Arabic, they insisted on holding, the both, uh, uh, on holding on to both languages, positioning themselves in the borderlands between them and using translation as a political and cultural tool. They published hundreds of essays, political commentaries, translations, short stories, and poems, mostly in local Hebrew and Arabic uh, newspapers and journals, marking the first modern phenomena of uh, Arabic-Hebrew literary bilingualism since the great Arab-Jewish poets of Al-Andalus. The prominent role of translation in their intellectual work was largely a result of direct and indirect uh, uh, affiliation with the seemingly, seemingly lost world. Islamic Al-Andalus or Sepharad of the 10th to 12th centuries, uh, this was the famous golden age of Jewish intellectual life, the age of great, great thinkers uh, and, uh, and uh, poets, such as Mo Maimonides, Moses Ibn Ezra, and Yehuda Levi, who were uh, intimately linked to the Arabic poetry and Islamic philosophy while advancing the study of Jewish law and Hebrew philology and poetry. In light of this intertwined cultural heritage, the Arab Jewish intellectuals tried to revive this medieval vision as a social and political platform for modern Jewish Arab shared life in Palestine. By adapting this cultural model to the context of Palestine, this, work promoted, uh, this network promoted translation from Arabic as a fundamental instrument in the Hebrew national and cultural revival. <coughs> Out of their large corpus of translation, I want to present to you and briefly, uh, four of their major translation projects that I want, um, want to um, start working on them next year in more details. Um, uh, all translation from Arabic to Hebrew. The first one is Yelde Arav, Children of Arabia, a collection of biblical tales from the Arab-Palestinian oral uh, tradition by Yosef Miuchas, published in 1927. Mishle Arab, Tales of the Arabs, a comprehensive collection of Arabic proverbs by Yitzhak bin Yamin Yehuda, uh, published in 1932. Kalila and Dimna, a famous collection of animal fables that were translated from Sanskrit to Persian, Arabic, and to Hebrew by Avram el Maliach, published in 1927. And Amelech Omar el Neeman Ubanav, King Omar el Neeman and his sons, a section from the Thousand and One Nights. Uh, that was translation, translated by uh, David Yelin in 1930. Uh, you have some of these covers of these books here. Okay, <coughs> Kalil and Demna is beautiful. If the one knows Arabic, it's, it's, it's the illusion of Arabic and Hebrew here. It's uh, the mixture of it, yeah, the hybridity of it. It's on the cover. Uh, these translations stand out because they do not belong to uniform religious, national, or geographical linguistic tradition. There's no one source. There's no original source to these texts. Uh, 
These cross languages, uh, time, space, and culture, providing unique case study of translation without original written sources. In Yehuda and, and Miucha's uh, example is even stronger because you don't have any source, written source. It's, it's based on oral traditions. So you, you have a, a, a unique uh, a case study of translation without original in the time of national time where all, everyone is obsessed by originals. Of course, the biblical original into it. Uh, they combine oral and written tradition, thus blurring the distinction between author and translators, original and copy. They present a unique linguistic mix of Hebrew and Arabic, which challenge the national distinction, offering exceptional evidence of modern Hebrew-Arabic hybridity. All these texts are combining Arabic into Hebrew and vice versa. These translations are not merely literary exercises. They embody an alternative political possibility of shared Hebrew-Arabic culture against the mainstream Zionist separatist approach. My research of this translation has three axes, textual analysis focusing on linguistic, structural, and thematic aspects that reflect the turbulent Palestinian politics of 1920-1930. You have to, to think about the times that this translation was, was published, before 1929, but in all the, the, all the 1920s are times of violent uh, and, uh, 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 um, clashes between Jews and, and Arabs in the land. Uh, their public uh, reception compared to other literary projects in Hebrew and Arabic uh, circles, and the broader political co context and implications, the translation strategy, selection of text, and, translator culture and uh, translators' cultural and political motivation as stated in their prefaces, interviews, and private correspondence. Conclusion. How can we re-engage with the work of those Arab Jewish thinkers and writers without reducing their literary and cultural vision to our reality? How the different images of Al-Andalus can contribute to our understanding of Arab Jewish cultural history and present? Re-engaging with this Andalusian vision of this Arab Jewish network enables us much more than simply revealing missing voices or missing figures in the Jewish historiography. It offers us an opportunity to develop new perspectives and theoretical frameworks and to rearrange the research field itself. In that way, it challenges and problematizes some of the basic assumptions, categorizations, and terminology that organize the institutionalized knowledge on Jewish studies and Hebrew-Arabic literatures. It also can help us reveal inconsistencies and, contradiction and contradictions in the official knowledge production, as well as the, its ideological and political mechanisms. It also provides us new ways of exploring historical events from multiple approaches and prisms, drawing multiple geographies and loyalties. More specifically, in the context of the Arab-Jewish literature, it enables us to transcend the existing disciplinary division that limits a Mizrahiness to a movement in the frame, uh, that is framed within the modern Jewish national project, informed by westernization and europeization. Instead, place it within a landscape of multiple locations, loyalties, and, collectives, uh, and collectivities, embodying broad and complex special uh, cultural and historical contexts. The members of this network, it's, this is a very important point, the members of this network should not seen as barriers or preservers of traditions facing collapse and extin extinction. And this is uh, something that some of these people were, were in, dealt quite uh, shortly, yeah? but they, they always seem to be as a, as a big giant trying to preserve uh, all tradition. I think it's, 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 it's the wrong approach to them. 
They should be instead be viewed as an active participants in renewing and reforming and reformulating these traditions as both scholars and creators. In their visions, they lived an Andalusian moment. That was also their moment, a Sephardi moment, in which, their her in which the heirs and successor of the great Andalusian poets, philosophers, and translators will reestablish the Judeo-Arabic tradition, reintegrate the fragmented history of the Arab Jewish scholarly world. In this process, Al-Andalus and Sepharad served as a political and cultural model uh, and inspiration for a shared Arab and Jewish future in Palestine. In many ways, this moment was taken from them by the national moment that was divided along the single language line and national canons that was contradictory, contrary to the spirit of Al-Andalus. We should read this Andalusian moment as part of a larger cultural uh, a, a part, sorry, as part of culture, uh, large cultural and political phenomena in which the image of, and the representation of Al-Andalus Sepharad not only as a place or period but mainly as a social and cultural model is used as allegory or symbol in the formation of context, contested political and cultural vision for Palestine Israel, not only in the Arab Jewish, uh, or the Jewish and the Hebrew, it's the same with, with Palestinian and, 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 and Arab uh, thought uh, in general. Throughout the last century, Al-Andalus serves as a combat concept where, whereby terms are used to advance competing religious and political programs which are separated from their historical reference and uh, lack any fixed theoretical meanings. It represents different, Al-Andalus represents different and sometimes contradictory visions, memories and legacies, homeland and exile, beginning and, and end, shared, intertwined, cultural or inter-religious uh, life, while at the same time uh, uh, explosion, ex expulsions and uh, religious conflicts. Time of glory and achievement and time of catastrophe and tragedies. The allegory of Palestine and, and Al-Andalus that was a crucial factor in the Arab-Jewish intellectual work during the uh, early 20th century was also prominent in more recent Palestinian writings such as uh, Edward Said's and uh, Mahmoud Darwish. In their writings, Al-Andalus has evolved uh, into an image of lost garden, which symbolizes an idealized society of intellectual achievement and cultural abridity, as well as an historical moment of loss and exile. I would like to finish with the words of Darwish and to read a segment from his poem, 11 Stars of Andalusia, that he wrote in 1992 after his first visit in, to Granada, Spain, around the commemoration of 500 years of the Castilian Christian conquest and the ending of the Islamic rule in the Iberian Peninsula. In this poem, the story of the conquest of Granada and the expulsion of the Muslims from Al-Andalus serves as an allegory to the story of the Nakba and the conquest of Palestine and the displacement of the Palestinians. Who wants to, to read? Yeah. Huh? Avi, can I ask you? And we'll finish with it. Can you see? Uh, yes. Uh, on our last evening on this land, uh, on our last evening, on our la the, the title is On Our Last Evening yeah. on This Land. On our last evening on this land, we chop our days from our young trees count the ribs 
we'll take with us and the ribs we'll leave behind. On the last evening we bid nothing farewell, nor find the time to end. Everything remains as it is. It is the place that changes our dreams and its visitors. Suddenly we are incapable of irony. This land will now host atoms of dust. Here, on our last evening, we look closely at the mountain besieging the clouds, a conquest and a counter-conquest, and an old time handing this new time the keys to our doors. And, and you can continue. So enter our houses, conquerors, and drink the wine of our mellifluous Muwasha. 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 We are the night at midnight, and so horsemen will bring, da will bring dawn from the sanctuary of the last call to prayer. Our tea is green and hot. Drink it. Our pistachios are fresh. Eat them. The beds are of green cedar. Fall on them, following this long siege. Lie down on the feathers of our dreams. The sheets are crisp, perfumes are ready by the door, and there are plenty of mirrors. Enter them so we may exit complex completely. Soon we will search in the margins of our history in distant countries for what was once our history. And in the end we will ask ourselves, was Andalusia here or there, on the land or in the poem? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Comments, questions? It's a, it's a good question because most of the time the Andalusian time was a Judeo Arabic mostly but with the Christian uh, conquest into other parts of Spain so the Jews became more and more under Christian and uh, Castilian uh, rule and they started to adopt Spanish but this the Judeo Spanish became uh, a Jewish language as, as a collective only after the expulsion only in the in the diaspora in the Ottoman Empire, and that, that's the the time when the Judeo Spanish became a language of culture, in, 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 so for poetry, for uh, for stories, for correspondence, correspondence, for rabbinical writings, for. Uh, but before that, Judeo Arabic, of course, was the, the main language, Arabic in Hebrew letters. So in that sense, when we're talking about Ladino, we're talking already about a different time of Andalusia. Andalusia outside of, of, of the, the real land in that sense. It's a memory. So there is a great uh, story. Because in, in the end of the 19th century, a lot of Spanish historians and, 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 and uh, intellectuals were starting to be really uh, attracted to Jews, the Jewish past of Spain. And they went to, the, to look for to, the, the, to this uh, 
you know, to this uh, diaspora of Jewish Sephardi Jews that still keeps the language uh, and, and still keep the, the, the culture even 400 years after the expulsion. And we don't any connection. And he went, one of them went to Belgrade and he, uh, and he met a lady and he spoke Spanish. And she said oh, to her husband, oh, look, he speaks Judesmo, he speaks Jewish. What's Judesmo? It's Jewish. She didn't even know that Spanish, Judeo-Spanish is connected to Spain, to a land that is outside. For there, it's Judesmo, it's a, it's a Jewish language. So the, the connection between Jew, the Ladino, the Jew, Judeo-Spanish, Judesmo, to Spain is interesting in that sense. But it's the beginning of it, as a cultural phenomenon, it's only after the expulsion. So it was no, it was either Arabic. Arabic was very strongly, even after, yeah, even in Toledo, Yehuda Levi, that was under Christian rule, in Toledo, Arabic was... And, and Moses Ibn Ezra was, was uh, expelled from Granada to, to Toledo too, and he always thought of himself Arabic. Arabic was the cultural Spanish language. No after the expulsion, of course, until today, it's still Ladino and Romanso. No, the same with the Arabic. It's it's Arabic with Hebrew characters. Yeah. So Ladino, it's Spanish in the old form of it, yeah. in the medieval form. It's the same with Yiddish and German. Yeah. Okay, it's the same. It's like the, it's kept the old version. Of course, it depends where you are speaking Ladino. If you're speaking Ladino in the Ottoman Empire, so probably Arab words will get into it. Uh, Ottoman, Turkish. You have of of course words that are always coming and and entering into their language. With Erev, with, uh, with night? I don't, I don't know. You, maybe you can help me with that. Okay. Um, but Ever the Arab, it's the, of course, the Hebrew and Arab. Ever, and in one of uh, Yehuda, Avram Shalom Yehuda books in yeah. Hebrew, it's Ever and Arab. So, uh, Arab and Arab are both mean evening. No, it, it, no Ever, Ever it's a crossing, the other side of the lake. Ever to, to pass, lavo in Hebrew. Uh, okay. I'd like to um, begin with a comment on names, because that's how you began, how your Arab name was Hebraized to Ivri. Uh, and I had a cousin in Baghdad who was called Fuad Hamama. And when he went to Israel, they changed his name for him. To Herzl, you're not here. Herzl, you're not here. Oh my goodness. Hamar. Hamar, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, is being uh, a pigeon. Yeah, for uh, this heart, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Yonah <laughs> is, a, is a dove. So it became, Hamama became Yonah. Well, Herzl became Herzl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why they chose Herzl for the visionary of the Jewish state. <laughs> Um, and the, in a broader context, the history of Israel, of Zionism and Israel, is a constant move to turn their back on the Eastern roots and Eastern legacies 
and to turn Israel into a Western country. And you um, describe very interestingly the perspective of these Mizrahi intellectuals, how they dealt with these issues, and the resentment of the Ashkenazi Jews in Palestine for refusing to learn Hebrew and refusing to engage yes. with this culture. In, in your last talk here, you spoke about a different theme, which was uh, Mizrahi Jews in Palestine and their reaction to the Balfour Declaration. Yes. And I found that really fascinating, that from day one, they opposed the Balfour Declaration because they wanted to be left alone to get on with their Arab neighbors. They wanted a national home, um, but for both peoples. Yes. Um, and I now wonder whether there is any connection between these two strands of your, of your research. Yeah, I think it's, it's very connected. And in, in, certain, in certain points, the same figures. Um, because I think with Al-Andalus, for them, it's, it's, I think it's, it's even more strongly. Because they call it Sephardim. Sephardim. They, they're supposed to be, even though most of them are not. The Iraqi, most of them are Iraqi. The Iraqi are not uh, part of the Sephardi expulsion. But through um, halachic uh, traditions, they, they were called Sephardim. But they were dismissed from the heritage of the Middle Evil. So in, in many ways, uh, the, the, the Ashkenazi uh, uh, um, elite of the, of the Ascala said, okay, we are the heirs of, the, of this uh, medieval tradition. For us, it's a Hebrew tradition. It's a, it's a Western tradition. And it's a national tradition. Yudha Levi is a, is a nationalist figure. And, and Bialik will say that he is the continuation of, of Yehuda Levi, the same with Mendelssohn and in German and others. So they see themselves and they say they, they're, taking, they're taking our tradition and they're westernizing it and they're distancing every aspect, Arabic aspect into it. At the same time, they're labeling us as, as Arabs, as Easterns, as not uh, um, cultured, as uh, outside of the Jewish uh, modern uh, culture. And, this, they, they, and, and the intellectuals see it and they understand from day one that this is a, it's, it's a project, it's a political project that we have to combat and to show that the Andalusian uh, is a different, cult, is a different uh, heritage, but it's not only a different heritage in the past, it has a different application for the present in Palestine. And that's going back to the question of Balfour Declaration. For them, the Andalusian project is an Arab-Jewish uh, 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 tradition that we need to, as 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 uh, natives, Arab and and, and 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 Jewish natives in Palestine, need to go together to revive together. They, in another place, I wrote about Yehuda coming in 1920, giving a talk in Arabic in in uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, he was he was uh, uh, he was um, introduced by Nashashibi, the the mayor that knows him from childhood because they were, they were born together in Jerusalem, they were raised together in Jerusalem, and there in Arabic he says to the intellectual person, "Let's revive together Al-Andalus." His topic was Al-Andalus. He said, "Okay, this is the moment, the Jews and the Muslims together, let's revive Al-Andalus and, and modernize." So of course he's is is inspired by Nahda. And in that sense, inspired by uh, the Pan-Asian uh, um, sentiment, is inspired by other 
but it, this is a different yes this is a very different point of view and it's very connected to the different point of view that they took to about for declaration they said no we don't want a jewish national state we want a binational in many ways they won't say binational but we're living together in that in that space so can i just ask you to expand on two uh, issues you already raised but okay. the first is how strong were the ties this jewish arabs character uh, characters uh, established with, with palestinian muslims or palestinian arabs yes and uh, so just you know when he goes how do they reply uh, and second, um, did they offer a positive alternative to the national political reading of Zionism? What would there be the political reading of them? Yes. I think it's, it's, great, it's a very important question. I think it's, it depends in what time you're going back to them. Mm -hmm. If you're going back before 1917, I think they had the more ma major, major uh, point of view that was different from Zionism, and they had a bigger connection to the, um, to the Palestinian intellectuals. Uh, so if you go into Shimon Moyal and Nesim Alul in Jaffa in, the, in 1911, they had a great connection with the Arab intellectual of the time. They, even though the ones are, are uh, attacking Zionism, they try to respond to them and say, no, Zionism doesn't uh, contradict Arab nationalism and doesn't con contradict Ottoman nationalism at the time. They, they're talking from a multiple loyalty perspective in that sense. I think 1917 and Balfour Declaration changing the story dramatically. So when Yehuda is coming, bringing his, le his, his lecture in, in 1920, one of the biggest uh, supporters was uh, Rauf uh, um, um, uh, Masrafi. What, what's his name? The, the Iraqi poet, the famous Iraqi poet. Uh, uh, so there was a famous Iraqi poet uh, uh, attending there the, in the crown, and he was really... Uh, blown by it in many ways and said yes we have to reconnect but the Palestinians intellectuals were already been in a different place they said okay is a Zionist or not Zionist it's the same when we I talked last time about Castel and Ben Kiki they already uh, about Balfour Declaration even if they were opposing Balfour Declaration the Palestinians already wanted them to declare that they're anti-Zionists so if you're anti-Zionist you are with us if you're not anti-Zionist so it's a different platform so Balfour Declaration changed dramatically the map. That, that, I think that's the tragedy, because in that sense you have to, you can, you couldn't be anymore in multiple realities like you could be in the Ottoman yeah. time. The Ottoman time, you can say I'm a poor Arab. Uh, David Yelin went to mosques and gave uh, lectures in Arabic and was uh, 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 very supportive of, uh, of Nada and and the same with, with of course Shimon Moyal and Isim Alul in Egypt and 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 Esther Moyal in Lebanon even more strongly. Uh, but at the same time, would declare themselves as Zionists, uh, or n Jewish nationalists, and Ottoman, of course, Ottoman uh, patriots. But after 1917, this, this collapsed into this binary of, of the partition. Yes, the, the partition, the, the, the separation that have, you have to decide a clear loyalty uh, to one of the sides. Did any of, did any of them choose, choose the... So I think the most, the, one, the most radical one was Chaim Belkiki. That died sadly in 1930. Chaim Ben Kiki was a native from Tveria, Tiberias, uh, and he was, I think, the most critical uh, and most critical on Zionism side. Uh, but he he had to resign from the Sephardic agency in Haifa because of his views in the 20s, and he died in 1930. 
uh, to I think in Ad Aden, he was on his way to uh, the, the Iraqi diaspora to raise money for the community and died on the way. But I think he was the most critical. And of course, you always have anti-Zionists, uh, mostly outside of Palestine, but in Palestine too. Uh, in, in Iraq, of course, and others, there, there was always Jews that were anti-Zionist. Uh, but I'm talking about these ones that had, uh, I think the most interesting ones are the ones that were, called, they will call themselves Zionists, but they saw Zionism completely different for what we understand today Zionism. For them, Zionism was, was reconnecting to the East, really. Re-establishing re a Jewish, a Hebrew-Arabic nation. For them, Arabic is part of, Arabic is a Jewish language. Uh, it's the language that Maimonides is writing in. It's the, the, the language that Sadia Gaon is translating the Bible into. It's for them, Arabic is a Jewish language. It's not outside. It's not a. So we have to, of course, be connected to this kind of. Uh, um, I, th I think it's uh, in, in this area, one, one should remember the Turks or the Ottomans. Yes. And the Ottomans were very clever. Very clever. Uh, and, and very clever, and they say they were very good, if you want to call them statesmen. Yes. Much better than the most of them. Yes. Uh, and, and that's what brought the friction, because they didn't mind Zionism. Even Zionism was all right. And, and there's a, a very good example how Zionism would have moved, if at all is the, what they call Arthurian. The what? The Assyrian. Ah, the Assyrian, yes. Arthurian, yes. of course, Now, they, for those who don't know about them, they, they were very important early Christians. Yes. Really, the earliest Christians still yes. existed. And, and they did very well under the Ottoman until the First World War. Then Russia came in, and then there was Armenia, etc. Be, because both they and, and the Muslim Turks, knew, they knew where the border is. They knew how far they can go, and they knew how much they allowed, how much they wanted. Yes. And things changed, as you said. Yes. The war for the creation. Yes. That totally changed yes. everything. Because the early Arab Jews, if I call them like the, the English Jews, the French Jews, but the Arab Jews is not mentioned. They were, they, they, the older generation, I'm talking before the First World War, they knew the, how far they get on the border, and therefore they controlled, as it were, the younger people. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's what was very easily seen for a young person like yes. me who grew up in, 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 that, in that atmosphere, yes. in, in that area at yes. that time. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think this is an important, because the, the earlier, the, the older one, yes. didn't want Zionism. The what? They? they did not want the Zionism. Yes. Yes. No, I think they didn't want Zionism. They didn't imagine Zionism as a separatist movement. The one that supports Zionism. They saw Zionism as part of the area. And of course, going together with Arab nationalism and, and Ottoman 
they saw it as an Eastern uh, movement, but it doesn't, for them it wasn't contradictory into, uh, to the other aspects of it. It was part of this. And, and I think it's interesting what you're saying about the Ottomans and Al-Andalus in that sense. So many, you have many uh, um, nostalgic memories of, uh, of Ottoman in a way that you have nostalgic memories of Andalus. And both places, of course, are not completely right. It's a nostalgic. Uh, but uh, Ottoman always seems to be a more, uh, I don't know, pluralistic, more uh, interreligious uh, surface. Even though in reality, of course, it, the, diff- the picture is different. The same is in Al-Andalus. But the, this image, again, is in, in, if you're going back to the Arab Jewish thought in that time, for them, the Ottoman times are the, the, the great time, again, yeah. for them, for flourishing. And, and the end of it is the end of the Arab Jewish. Uh, but I think one should remember that, that <coughs> everything changed, not only by by by, 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 by declaration, but by Islam. And that's important because Arabism and Islam did not take Certainly, Arabism did not take any part in Turkish Empire because they were they were against Arabism. Yes. Um, you mentioned earlier on about Ashkenazim taking over to some extent. You mentioned European images. What sort of things? you thinking of? Have you any example of that? You, you're talking about what Abdallah Shaul said? I can't remember. He the said that they, the they, 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 the Europeization of Yehuda Levi? Yes. I think it probably was that. Yes. So he, what, what he saw, because he is an autodidact, a scholar, a Iraqi in origin, Baghdadi, knowing the, the text of the Arab Jewish text, and he knows the context of Yehuda Levi writing in Judeo Arabic, but the context that he was writing in. So he can read the Arabic poets of his time, of Yehuda Levi. And he sees that the, the scholars in Europe, um, mainly Chaim Brody, there was one that he was in particular, but not only, they are investigating this poetry without understanding the Arabic um, style, po- 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 poetic style, and they're trying to uh, translate it or to interpret it or to investigate it through European framework. And for him, that's, that's the main criticism. Uh, so he will do it, of course, uh, largely said, you want to try to make uh, uh, Yudha Levi as Ashkenazi. He's not Ashkenazi, he's a Sephardi. But this is, of course, a, 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 for him, is a battle with the Ashkenazi European Jews. But for him, he, he, he thought that they are distancing Yudha Levi from his roots, that they are the Arab poetry, of course. You can understand Sephardic poetry, Jewish, without understanding the Arabic poetry. And today we know it. Even though if you're going to study today Hebrew literature in, in, in the Hebrew University, you don't need to know Arabic. So you can learn Yuda Levi no. without Arabic. Or, uh, or Moses Ibn Ezra or, or others without Arabic. Ibn Gvirol, you don't need to know Arabic. Even scholars doesn't have to understand Arabic. So that's why Yehuda understands from the beginning of this partition that Hebrew literature will be so different from Arabic literature. So you're learning Andalusian Hebrew literature completely different, different discipline from Arabic literature. And for them, that's the moment of partition that they will try to prevent. Yes, I think the Semites is very into uh, in Avram Shalom Yehuda 
because Avon Schoenmüller was trained in in uh, the German Oriental system. He did his PhD under Neltke, one of the famous uh, Islamic scholar in Germany. So he knew very well the Semite discussion. So if in his writing, there is, it's a lot there, but he's always saying, what I'm saying, Semite is not what the European trying to say, because he knows what they mean. I'm saying, going back to the prophet spirit, for him, Eastern is the prophet spirit, the spirit of real Eastern, that he will say. Of course, this, is, this uh, discussion have uh, Orientalist uh, perception into it, but he tried to divide himself outside of the... Uh, and even in one of his quotes, he said, these European Jews are trying to, they don't understand that what they're saying is going with this Aryan point of view. So yeah, even understand that word in, in early 20th century. Um, and he said, no, we, we have to go out of this binary between Aryan and Semites. But in the same time, he's imagining um, essentialist uh, Eastern uh, I don't know, uh, objects. So for us as a post-modern, <laughs> but we have to read it in him from his time and not to do... Uh, that's why I, w w my big question here is a question for me as a researcher, I think as, as a generation of researchers that already were trained in this post-partitioned. Mm -hmm. Because I was trained not in Arab and Hebrew, I was trained in Hebrew. Uh, and I'm, I don't know the life, I, I don't have the scope that Avram Shalom had when he wrote his things. So what I'm doing to him, I'm always can, I'm reducing him to my world. And I always have to be reflective about it. So at the same time, what he meant and what I think we are already trapped in this post-partitioned disciplinary and that when Jewish studies are separate from, from Muslim Islamic studies or uh, Arabic literature and Hebrew literature are separated. So they are writing from a point of view that try to prevent this partition, but we are already trapped in this post-partitioned uh, reality. So I, I didn't see Abrahamic, um, uh, I think it's a concept that came later, but I, I, I didn't see it in their writings. Um, yeah, but um, my personal opinion is that Balfourism is different from Zionism, mm -hmm. because there is that clause that uh, the uh, native population must be uh, threatened, their religious beliefs and so on should be expected. But um, um, my other question was that would it be possible for you to read this very beautiful poem in Arabic? Yeah, I can, but for me it will be hard to really translate it. But I can understand yeah, the. Exactly. My Arabic is basic, it's not enough to do it. Uh, yeah, but I have the, uh, the Arabic. I just wanted to hear the, the ah, I don't have the. There must yeah. be a YouTube really. Yes, uh, you need to hear. What's beautiful, I don't know if you're familiar with Mahmoud Darwish, I think he's, he's a phenomenon. He's really a phenomenon because he, for him, in his readings, came hundreds of people. He was a star in the Arab world after his exile. And every time he read his, his poem, he rewrote it. I think he said it in one of his interviews. And he's a phenomenon to, 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 to see him reading it. I think it, it will be... A so my question is about uh, you, if you could sort of situate yourself uh, in the postscript of this history, because I find it uh, interesting. Your story sort of ends in 1917, 1948, uh, but there seems to be some sort of rediscovery of this yeah. Judeo-Arabic culture. Yes. Um, and I wonder what it has to do with the political yes. possibilities for a one-state solution and people who, in a sort of utopianism, yes. kind of 
reconstruct a, a Judeo-Arabic culture? Um, so if you could... Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's connected to what I said in the end of the, about the reduction. Because now I'm, I'm trying to, to be, you know, conscious not to do reduction. But for me, I started my work on, um, on Shimon Balas. I don't know if uh, people here are familiar with it. But about Arab Jews that wrote in Arabic in Iraq and moved to write, started in Arabic in, in Israel and then moved to Hebrew. Because as Sasson Somer said, they were, they were the ones that stayed on writing in Arabic, they were uh, writers without uh, audience. Because the Arab Jews didn't read them and the Palestinians didn't add interest in their writings. So for me, that was the, my master's was about Shimon Balas and other Arab Jews writing. I'm, of course, it's coming from political involvement. I was involved in Mizrahi movement and I'm still very involved into it in the politics of it. So it's, it's of course connected. In my PhD, I wanted to go one generation before. So I started with Yitzhak Shami, a Hebronite uh, Arab Jewish writing in Hebrew. So I wanted to write about him, my PhD. But then through him, I discovered this Never like a generation before. So in the beginning when I read, of course, Avram Shalom Yehuda, if you're reading, you have lots of letters and articles and others, you still, your first instinct is, oh, this is a opposition to Zionism. This is a Mizrahi opposition. This is a, and, and, and in a certain point in my PhD, I discovered, I think only moving here, and I discovered that I need to be really careful not doing it. Because if I will do it only as a position, to Zionism, as an anti-Zionist voices or alternative figures, I think that this is, will be the reduction of what I said to, in a post-partition, but it will be a reduction project for them, because there were more than, that's why I tried to say here, but maybe I didn't deliver it enough. I think there were much more than anti, there were Zionists in the center, they had lots of contradiction into them. In Yehuda figure, there's lots of contradiction. It was a supporter of Zionism, but it was critical of Arab nationalism in a certain point. And it's, it's a great figure, yeah, of course. He's, he saw himself as a, a great figure, as an imperial. Then he went to Madrid, and he had a conversation with the king. And he, uh, he, this is figures with um, imperial logic. And they have lots of contradiction into them. And to say to them, only to, to reduce them only to Zionism, anti-Zionist or not anti-Zionist, religious, secular people will ask that. It, I think it's a reduction to do it. But in the beginning, of, of course, I was there. Yeah? And I'm still, I think, putting them in Hebrew, sometimes I do it. Because I think bringing Yosef Miuchas into the discussion on, on, um, on uh, Ir David. Yeah, Miuchas was born, uh, moved to uh, Silwan when he was five. And now the, the Ir David uh, settlers are coming and doing uh, lots of, uh, in Silwan, they're doing uh, um, uh, uh, tours and they're going to his house and there's a big Israeli f uh, flag and he said, this is not what Yosef Miuchas said. Yosef mm -hmm. didn't want his heritage to be, now we are going back to our indigenous, yeah, like we do in Hebron, in, uh, in Sheikh Jarrah, and we go in Silwan, we are, the settlers are now proclaiming the indigenous rights of the Miuchas and other Arab Jews. There, um, sometimes I'm going in and said, no, this is not what Miuchas says. So sometimes, of course, there is a political, the current political situation is very important. But scholarly, we have to be more careful not to put them as only as a position. Yeah. Uh, so following on uh, this line, um, <coughs> so as many of us uh, may know, the Israeli Minister of, Ministry of Education uh, embarked on a project in which uh, some um, aspects of uh, non-Ashkenazi history would be reintroduced into the curriculum. 
Do you know if they approach these characters at all? And if, if they do, how they... Uh... And now, after my, my article uh, was published about uh, Benkiki and uh, Castel, someone, I think she's a uh, religious, uh, she's from the education, Brachas, uh, she, she uh, contacted me and she said, ah, I'm really interested in this Sephardi voices, Zionist Sephardi voices. So she didn't understand that Yosef Chaim Castel was critical about Balfour. Because you, you can, if you go into Chaim Castel later, it will be a Zionist, a very early Zionism. Because, you know, there is a very famous, I think very important work on, uh, of Yitzhak Bezalel. Uh, he's an autodidact historian, but he, that is, he, he was the um, editor of Pe'amim, one of the Bensvi, very famous. And he wrote about these figures and he called this uh, book uh, uh, we were born Zionists. So for him, they're all Zionists. They are the early voices of Zionism. So if the, the discourse, the Ashkenazi dominant discourse, will be the Mizrahi weren't Zionists, they didn't have any uh, affiliation to nationalism, we saved them from the Arabs and we bought them and we, we educated them. No, they said, no, this is a different project. We'll show that even... The Iraqis in the 20s and the 30s were Zionists, and, and, and of course the Palestinian Jews were Zionists, and we can see them, and we can bring these voices, and we'll, we label them as Zionists. So this, the, you have these kind of projects uh, going together. And I think, again, that's why I'm, I'm afraid to go to this game of uh, either alternatives mm -hmm. or opposition to Zionism or pro-Zionism. Because I think their, their, their voices are taking us to the prayer partition discourse and we have to, to put it. I think we have all, I think the political uh, project will be for us to go to this, to reimagine this pre-partitioned discourse, political discourse, cultural discourse, disciplinary discourse, of course. And this will be the political, really, uh, project. Having come across the book Yes. But I'm going to check it out. Yes. Uh, when did you write it? No, Ladnut Zionim, 2008. 2008, and all these figures are there. 2008, I, I really recommend you to, to read the book. 2008, I think it's, it went out in the Bensvi uh, publisher. No, Ladnut Zionim. No, Ladnut Zionim. He said, uh, yeah, this is uh, what uh, I think uh, Sokola said to about the, the Sephardi Jews, the whole Zionists. So for him, for, the, for, for him it's we. Covering the Zionism of the Arab Jews, and of course, Ben Tzvi institution. That's what they do. They do in the, they have every for Iraq. They have a book about Iraq and Zionism in Iraq. Mm -hmm. If you go to the Moreshet, uh, I don't know if you visit Moreshet. It's unbelievable. You have the Geonim. You have the the all the time, and then they go into modern time. It's only Zionist movement, mm -hmm. even though the communists were much more. Yeah. But you have every picture of every Zionist. <laughs> there were I don't know hundreds or three hundreds or five hundred Zionists in the in the underground. But it's, it's only Zionism. And this is the only way to the, the, to the, the collective memory. It's through Zionism. Or now we have the new thing. I think it's more, for me, more worrying than the Zionism. It's to, uh, to um, label Arab Jews as, as uh, refugees. Mm -hmm. In that sense, to, to uh, counter the Palestinians and try to normalize the Palestinian Nakba. Mm -hmm. So you were, in, uh, you were refugees, we were refugees. So we are now even. That's it. So the political question is, is out of it. And I think this is the most worrying. And I see it even here in London. The Arab Jews in London are, are telling that there's lots of Harif and other movements. And, and, and I went to the uh, Sephardi Voices. They're all training only bad stories. 
If you, you need to remember Baghdad, it's only when they were persecuted in the 60s and early 70s. That's the only way to remember what you have in Baghdad. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, yes, <coughs> um, maybe uh, we should talk more about uh, because he was so cautious in this area. So more, more lectures on him, please. Ah, oh, All right. Okay. As someone who's been writing on him, I would love to organize something. I think we should conclude here. Uh, I want to thank you so much for thank this you. wonderful presentation. Thank you very much thank you for, for the discussion. And uh, we'll see you in Trinity. <laughs> thank you. Do you, do you have the button? Yeah.